we were able to actually see and calculate the growth and then keep scaling upon those ad sets in order to, you know, generate more revenue and acquire more customers. So essentially we knew that we had a good concept, but when we started running like social media paid ads, it literally just put fuel on the fire and uh, just propelled us to a different level. Welcome to another episode of the Upflip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Freeman. And today, Nehemiah Mitchell and Darian Herring will discuss how to start a sporting goods brand. Weeball Sports is a $1.5 million per year sports apparel company that was started with just $1,000 invested in their patented streamer football towel. Nehemiah turned lessons learned as a football player at Vanderbilt into a sports apparel company that is loved by NFL players like Jalen Ramsey, Jamal Adams, Saquon Barkley, and more. Today, they'll share their strategies to creating innovative products, building a sports apparel brand, and how to market a company in the sporting goods industry. Plus, they'll answer questions from our listeners. Get ready to learn how to start a sporting goods brand to get things started. Uh, gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. No, no problem. Thank you for having us. We yeah, appreciate thank you. you. Thank you for the opportunity. To get started for our listeners, could you just kind of lay out how you got started in the sports apparel business and when and why you launched Weeball Sports? Uh, yeah, for sure. So... Essentially, you know, both of us grew up always playing football. I played basketball as well. So we were always acclimated, you know, within the sports community and sports just took us so far in life. And we were fortunate enough to get full ride scholarships to play Division One in the SEC, which is, you know, one of the best conferences in college football and, uh, you know, graduate with our uh, degrees. So we always had a love for the game. And uh, when we were done, um, yeah, we both, you know, kind of got into the corporate world, but we felt that that wasn't kind of our, that wasn't our belonging. That wasn't where, you know, we saw longevity in our lives and just trying to find a purpose. We fell back to what we knew that was just in some way being involved within the sports community and that's kind of how we stumbled upon the streamer tile, which you referenced to, and uh, just starting the brand Weeball Sports. What makes Weeball Sports different from other sports gear sellers? I would definitely say that Weeball Sports as a company, we always find innovative products that aren't on the market or they're not accessible for, you know, just the majority of the market out there, a majority of athletes. So like I said, the streamer towel, that wasn't ever available to the market. We brought that actually to the market um, by ourselves, you know, with the patent and just the design. It was never, you know, available for purchase. Most people would just go and, you know, just buy a normal bathroom towel and just cut it. And then that would be their streamer towel. But we were able to manufacture it where all the edges and everything were already pre-stitched. It's not going to unravel like your typical, you know, towel that you cut up would do. Um, also, the padded socks that we have, those also were something that just wasn't accessible to the market. Um, athletes weren't able to get it. I mean, other, like maybe if you were in the NFL, they had a couple of players who wore them or different things like that by just, you know, different companies. Um, also, another product that is really big for us are like single leg tights. We, you know, we brought those to the market as well. And those have been, you know, very fortunate for us just to help grow our business and everything like that. So we, we're constantly always looking for innovative ways to just bring new products to the market that just aren't there already. And, you know, I think that's how we built our brand. Just uh, everybody's always satisfied with, you know, what we're bringing to the market. We always listen to our consumers. They let us know what they want. If obviously if we can manufacture and get it made or, you know, create it, we're going to do that for them. And what's sort of that process look like of, you know, sourcing new ideas for products? How are you bringing in ideas from, from athletes to learn what they need and then determining that it is a you know, profitable niche to move into? Um, for us, all kids expire, aspire to be, you know, NFL players or college athletes. So we know we we look at things that 
those type of athletes wear. A lot of them kind of custom make them. So like you'll see a lot of the NFL athletes or college athletes, they wear like scrunch socks. But the way that they do it, they cut them to make them look that way versus us. We'll go ahead and pre-manufacture them because, you know, we know that's what's popular. Like with athletes like Odell Beckham, you know, everybody wants to be like Odell and uh, Jalen Ramsey and things like that. So we just take what we see, you know, we do our research behind it to make sure that there's no other products like it on the market. And from there, that's kind of when we sit down, talk with each other. Um, We obviously source it uh, from our manufacturers to see if it can be made or cannot be made. If it can be made, we'll get samples uh, developed as well. Once those samples come in, you know, we'll take pictures. We'll kind of post them on our Instagram, social media, just to kind of get the buzz going for it. And then based on that, if, you know, we get a lot of good feedback from it, like, oh yeah, you for, you guys for sure need to release this product. We'll go ahead and get it into mass production at that point. And then once we get it in, you know, ever since we've started doing that, all our products are selling out super fast. Incredible. And I'd like to go back to the the kind of the beginning of Weeball Sports and look at some of the initial startup costs. Like what was those initial expenses and what were some of the more significant ones that someone who might be looking at starting a sports gear business should consider and plan for? Yeah, looking back on it, it's kind of like crazy because we did, we built this business, I would say the perfect way. And I would suggest others to build a business. Um, if they have a, a, you know, idea or they want to start some type of business, they should, you know, more so build it similarly because we just started with one product. A lot of people, they get carried away and they try to do like 10 different things at once and release 10 different products. But again, we just started with the streamer towel. We invested, I think it was around a thousand dollars to get the first shipment, um, this the first, you know, manufacturing run made. And uh yeah, when we got it, we we gave away like a I would say more than half of those towels just as promotion to NFL players because we have a, a large network of NFL guys and top division one college guys that we knew at the time, um, just to get the buzz around it and also get feedback on those products. And yeah, from there, that's, you know, how, how kind of Weeball Sports was built and just the amount of investment that we put into it was extremely minimal. Were there any uh, unexpected challenges that came up in the early days? In the early days, I would definitely say growth um, for us. I mean, we were growing really, really fast. You know, we didn't have everything figured out. And I think a lot of people who start businesses believe that you have to have everything figured out in order to be successful. But I mean, you're going to fail more times than you succeed, especially when you're starting out. And, you know, from those failures of us, you know, not knowing different platforms to how we can ship our products out in a timely manner and things like that, you know, learning from those mistakes, that's kind of what helped us grow our business in the long run. And, you know, ultimately it got us to where we're at. And a lot of people don't realize, you know, it's okay to fail in a business and not, you know, not to, not for the whole business to fail or even if your whole business failed, but just what you take away from those failures to, you know, to slingshot you into your next, you know, product or ideal or next business. I want to talk about some of that growth because your your revenue grew by 600% from 2020 to 2021. What were the main drivers of that growth? I would say the number one driver was when we started running Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Google ads, all, you know, social media ads in general. That really just propelled us to a different level. And yeah, we were able to actually see and calculate the growth and then keep scaling upon those ad sets in order to, you know, generate more revenue and acquire more customers. So essentially, we knew that 
we had a good concept as far as the products that we already made. And, you know, they're already selling, you know, with just organic outreach and small influencer marketing campaigns. But when we started running like social media paid ads, it literally just put fuel on the fire and uh, just propelled us to a different level. Yeah, and then I guess to, to piggyback off that, you know, with running those ads and things like that, we also had a great product. A lot of people get it confused sometimes, you know, just I have this product and I'm just going to run ads for it and it's just going to automatically sell. But, you know, I don't want people to get confused. You still have to have a good product out there on the market to run those ads for because if you just have a terrible product and you're running ads, you're losing money, you know? So we already knew that we had a good product and, you know, once we start running these ads on this product, once more and more people see it, that's just going to convert our sales. It's kind of staying in this realm of social. How does social fit into your overall marketing and customer engagement strategy? Is it is it the the primary place where you're marketing and and how else do you utilize social in your in your business? Um yeah, social is definitely like the top of the funnel, so that's essentially, you know, either through organic like pictures, videos that we post on um, our Instagram. Um, that's usually our main source and main platform that we use in order to advertise or through paid social media um, advertisements. That's initially how we get all of our, you know, prospective customers and people who are like interested in our in our products. And then, you know, just through that, we just get them more tight down the funnel and we're able to get them into, you know, our text messaging campaigns and things of that sort to retarget and then remarket to them with uh, other social media advertisements as well. And, you know, our texts and SMS campaigns. So I would say it's, it's, a, it's a huge part of like what we do at Weeball Sports. And then what's that typical ad spend in a, in a sort of your normal month? Um, it definitely varies because we started mainly with football products. So football season starts, you know, around June, July, and, um, you know, it kind of starts tapering off around, you know, November, December. That's, you know, when we see less sales. So, you know, during June, July, we're spending like last year, we were spending at least like 20 to 30,000 just in social media ads a week. And we were seeing at least like a three to four times return on that investment. So that's, you know, another great thing with these platforms when you're spending money with them, then you can see, you know, the conversion rates and you can see the click through rates and customer acquisition costs and, you know, all that jazz to better optimize those ads and scale and build off of them so that you know what's working and you can cut off what's not working. So you can funnel more money into the ads that are actually paying you and stop running the ads that aren't doing anything for your business. Are there any uh, platforms that work significantly better for sporting goods than and others that maybe you you try and avoid or have discovered that don't work? Definitely like Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, because I would say most of our audience is mainly male. Um, and those are like platforms that usually like kids 13 through 25 are, are on. So platforms such as like, I would say like Pinterest, that's not really, or we never really ran any type of uh, campaigns or had any type of presence on them because we don't think there's much of our audience on that platform for it to make sense for us. So uh, yeah, definitely Instagram, Snapchat, Google ads. Those are like the cream of the crop, I would say. And what kind of profit margins um, are you seeing on your total revenue? 
Uh, it varies by product. Um, so like with the streamer towels and the like socks and things like that, we're probably seeing around at least a 70% profit margin on each of those products because we're ordering so many of them. So when you order them by the thousands, the manufacturers give you discounts and things like that. So we are getting like a 70% profit margins. Now, when it comes to apparel, which that's something that we're getting into right now, Nehemiah, what would you say the profit margins going into like the apparel? It's not as much. Yeah, it's around like 50. We try to at least get like 50%. So if we pay, like if we buy a sweatshirt and it costs us $15 to make, then, you know, we usually sell it for like, you know, 30, 35 plus shipping. So yeah, it, it's a little bit smaller profit margins, but it also allows us to not be so pigeonholed into just like just a couple of the main products that we sell. And then we could use those apparel items to upsell to customers and just get our brand into more customers' hands because we are seeing customers, they'll just order a sweatshirt or a long sleeve shirt. So, you know, it's really great to see that we're being seen more than just equipment and accessories company. And people are, you know, they actually want to wear our brand. You mentioned 50%, trying to get at least 50%. Is that kind of the key number for you? As long as the the product's going to bring you in above that on profit margin, it seems worth kind of investing the time and the energy into bringing it to market. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, as long as it's over 50%, I think we're satisfied with that, um, especially with the apparel and things like that, because we already know we're making a ton of profit margins on like our accessories, like towel socks. And things like that. So as as long as that's going over 50%, that also leaves us room when we do like Black Friday sales, we're able to get 60% off on that product because our profit margins are so good. So, you know, we also look to that as well. I don't think we also do. So typical stores don't do this um, like on e-commerce, but like if you buy like one towel, for example, from for us, um, that towel may cost you $12.99 for one towel. But if you were to buy two or three towels, we then lower the rate for you as a customer. You may, you may now only pay $10.99 per towel. So that's something that we do as well that we don't see a lot of other companies out there doing. So the more, technically the more that you buy, the cheaper the rate will be. So we're able to do that um, with our profit margins because they're so large. So I want to kind of talk back to some of that growth again, because as as we said, 600% from 2020 to 2021. What advice do you have about scaling a sports apparel company? What strategies have worked for you that you might be able to share for other businesses who want to see that same kind of growth? I think the most important thing is with sports apparel products, you just need to get your products in the hands of athletes and most importantly, the professional and five-star high school recruits and the top D1 recruits, because those are the players that your consumers are looking up to and finding trends about how they should style their gear, you know, in practice or games. So, you know, the more that you get your products on field from these athletes that, you know, wear your products, then it's just going to be like, you know, a trickle effect. And, you know, people are just going to keep wanting to order your products and, you know, and and that's where you'll start seeing the real growth. And that's, I think, what worked for us. Do you have advice for for building those relationships? Obviously, you know, playing sports at a high level is a good way to, to get started on those relationships, but somebody who maybe didn't have quite the same athletic success, how they might start to build those, some of those relationships. I mean, you just have to get yourself out there. You you have to a message, it, even if it takes you every night or if you're building your brand, if every night you have to message 50 different professional athletes or 100 different athletes, trust me, at least two, three, four, maybe even five are going to respond to you. It's just getting out there. You know, you just have to keep promoting your brand. You need to reach out. Hey, I have this product. Can I send it to you for free? I mean, who doesn't like free stuff? Even professional athletes who make millions of dollars, they love free stuff. 
So, you know, for them just to send you their address or their P.O. box, that's nothing to them. They get the product. If they like the product, they're going to wear it. You know, fortunate enough when we were able to do that, send our products out to them and things like that. Like, we, obviously, like you said, we knew those athletes, a lot of them, and kind of had connects with different ones that we didn't know them. But, you know, we didn't ask them originally, oh, can you shout us out or different things like that? They just really like the product. And if they like the product, they're just going to naturally wear it with like no question asked. Because I'm not 100% sure if you message, a you know, an influencer or an athlete and ask them, hey, can I send you a sweatshirt or a t-shirt or anything like that with my brand, but can you promote it? You know, that's going to be a different story. They may not be willing to promote it, especially if, you know, there's no type of compensation um, doing it. I know starting a brand early on and you're not going to have the funds to really compensate anybody to, you know, shout you shout you out or anything like that. So you just have to have a really good product that they're going to admire and just wear naturally. And with our situation, that's what they did. Um, they wore it on Sunday during the games. On Saturday during co- college football, we were able to get pictures and things like that from, you know, all the different sources who take those photos. And we were able to promote our brand like that. Like, hey, look, Jalen Ramsey's wearing our product. Tyran Matthews wearing our product. Just you know, just naturally, we didn't ask them to shout us out or do anything like that. I, I, to be honest, DMI, do you think we ever asked the athlete to shout us no. out? I don't yeah, think. Yeah, I think to piggyback off that, you just have to be genuine and just show show love. You know, you can't do things and always expect something in return every time. So if if I give somebody something, I can't be a person who like, well, now you have to shout me out. It's like you know, once you do stuff, like the the universe is gonna you know, give that back to you in some way, in some form. So just, you know, being genuine, showing love, asking how you can bring value to others. Usually that's going to come back to you. And then also start at the bottom. Like in the NFL, there's like 70 players on a team. You don't have to go for the the Damn. person that's making a hundred million a year. There's other players in the same, you know, if they're, if you want to get your product on, on, you know, a top wide receiver, there's seven other receivers in the receiver room. So you can go, you know, if you know whatever player you really want your product on, you can message those receivers that are on the practice squad and start getting your, your product into their hands. And of course, eventually the top, the person that you really wanted to get on, they're going to see the product. And then, you know, if it's a good product, they'll probably reach out or the person that you started to build a relationship will be like, hey, you know, this person wants that product. So yeah, it's just, it's just, you know, just being strategic with it, being calculated and, you know, just bringing value to people. Yeah. And I mean, that's a good point. You know, it's just, it's just really wholesome. I mean, and I guess a good example for us would be like Jalen Ramsey. We would just send him stuff for free, didn't expect anything. And the next thing you know, he has us in contact with their equipment manager. He's wholesaling items from us at this point. So, and there's a couple of other teams like the Cleveland Browns that, you know, we used to send their athletes things as well. And then now they get us in contact with their equipment manager. You know, now we have orders coming in from these teams. So it's kind of, you know, work full circle in a sense. And, you know, that just helped us out. We weren't expecting that. We didn't tell Jalen Ramsey to contact your equipment manager to get in contact. He just did it naturally. The equipment manager just emailed us one day asking for products. And, you know, obviously they paid for it. And that's almost worth, you know, worth everything that we sent Jalen Ramsey to just have that contact with that equipment manager. One of the things that strikes me there is that it further emphasizes something you brought up earlier, which is that having a high quality product is the ultimate key. So where are you sourcing suppliers and the various gear that you sell and how are you, what's the vetting process for your suppliers? Initially, when we first started, we, you know, mainly just used uh, Alibaba to like, um, which is like a huge marketplace that, you know, you can source different suppliers and manufacturers for really anything that you want made. So yeah, strictly we were just using that to find different factories and then 
as we started getting more product and need, having more needs for different types of materials and things of that sort, some of those manufacturers and suppliers that we used, they have other connections and then they brought different factories to us that can make other products. And yeah, it's just like a, a huge trickling like network effect that kind of we were able to use and utilize after, you know, initially building a relationship with our first overseas suppliers that were uh, in China. Okay. Yeah. So uh, just the vetting process, like we'll find those manufacturers, just for example, once again, like our padded socks that we did, we would get multiple samples from different manufacturers and then they'll send them in, you know, obviously you have to pay for them. I mean, that's part of the investment process into your, you know, your business. I would always recommend to get more than one sample from a different manufacturer. You cannot, you know, just assume that they're going to do it perfect because nine times out of 10, they're not going to do it perfect the first time. So, you know, we would have three or four different manufacturers just send us the same product that we promoted to them or show them. And, you know, with the dimensions and everything, how we want it to look, we would get those samples and sit down and kind of look at them, which ones we don't like, which ones we do like. And then from there, that's how we decide pretty much like, okay, this is going to be our manufacturer for our padded socks. And then we just go from there, you know, and then we just keep ordering more and more and more. And then, um, you know, we just build those relationships with that manufacturer at that point. I want to ask a little bit about your website. Did you hire an outside service to build and maintain your website? And what what platform are you using to host? Currently, we're using Shopify. And uh, yeah, that uh, the whole website is really done by, you know, in-house by us. We are actually in the process of, you know, hiring like a professional agency to, you know, revamp our whole website. But uh we just thought it would be best just to do it in house because, you know, we just wanted to save money and just be as resourceful as as we could. And, you know, we both kind of had experience making websites. So, you know, it's not as complicated as a lot of people think. And Shopify has a lot of tools and apps that make it easy for just the everyday person to uh, to make a website. And what about uh, shipping and fulfillment? Is that in-house or do you use a third party? Uh, we ship everything in-house right now until we get to the point where we realize that we can't keep up with the orders and things like that. We'll just eventually hire, maybe do like a third party and just have them, you know, have everything shipped directly into them and they can fill and package. But ever since we started this business, we've fulfilled our orders and, you know, it, it kind of helps us out in the sense that we have control of our own like packages and things like that. We know where everything is. If we need to grab something, you know, we don't have to call the third party warehouse or shipper and have them send us something, you know, everything is just, we're so quick with it. So if an NFL athlete reaches out to us today, we can get something shipped directly out to them today as well. We don't have to do the whole waiting process. We don't have to put an order in for the third party fulfiller to uh, fulfill that order for us. So everything is just done in-house. And, you know, at this point, we've gotten really good with getting our orders um, out daily, you know, in a fast process as well. What systems do you use um, and or standard operating procedures do you have to manage workflow? So for the so for our shipping right now, we use ShipStation. To be honest, it's going to sound funny, but really me and Nehemiah and like some of our friends that help sometimes right now, we're just the only ones, you know, really shipping out our products and things like that and kind of, you know, running this business. Later on in this year, we're, we're going to be hiring more people and things like that. But right now, it's just me and Nehemiah. We just bootstrap it. We come in. I mean, if we got 300 orders to fill in one day, we'll stay here all day if that, you know, if that's what it takes. And uh, we've been doing that, you know, ever since this business has grown. And last year, I think during Black Friday, we really realized like we're going to need more help because Black Friday was crazy. Uh, how many orders did we get in like in a 24 hour period? Like in the first the first hour, we got over 300 or 400 orders in just the first hour. 
Yeah. And then in the three days that we ran the like, because we did like up to 70 percent off on, um, you know, select items. So, yeah, it's just like a really big thing that like all of our customers, because uh, we have a pretty large Instagram following, like almost just over 70, 70,000 um, followers on Instagram. So, yeah, it's a big sale that everybody always looks forward to. We locked the website like the day before just to make sure all of our inventory is all um, ready. Usually, even before we release a sale, we already have like a couple hundred people just like waiting on the website for us to, uh, you know, unlock the website. And uh, yeah, I think in the three or four days that we ran the sale, we did over at least two, three thousand orders. Yeah. I um, mean, we were here yeah. night and day, like literally like night and day yeah. just because it was really just me and him in here. Come, we'll come here first thing in the morning. And sometimes we wouldn't leave to like 10 o'clock at night because we knew we had a commitment to our customers. Like on our website, we tell them it's going to be one to three days just to process your order. And we stick by that. You know, we're not going to tell you that. And then next thing you know, it's been five days. It's been a week. and Your product still hasn't been shipped. So, I mean, whatever we have to do to get your product out to our, like our loyal customers, or even new customers, because we want to have that first impression on those new customers as well, that we're going to do exactly what our website said and get your product out in one to three days. We most of the time get the product shipped out within at least 24 hours, if not, you know, maybe a little over that, just depending. So with with that, you know, you're at a point where you're you're looking to expand both operationally and adding adding more product lines in. What steps are you taking now to make sure you're set up and and secure for that growth? Uh, first was, I, well, I guess I could start off first was just getting a bigger workspace. Like I said, you should have seen this current space that we were in before we just moved everything out. I mean, it was boxes stacked to the ceiling. There was hardly any room to work. It was hardly enough room for just me and Nehemiah to work in here. So we knew if we were to bring more people on, it was just going to be a mess. So the biggest thing for us was just getting that new 6,000 square foot warehouse that we would have just a lot of space, a ton of space. We got like a uh, a thousand square foot of it is office space. So we can have people working in there if needed. And we got, you know, another 5,000 or just strictly warehouse space where we can store and fulfill all of our products. It just gives us the space that we need to expand with, you know, getting more employees in there because you don't want to be in a tight space, especially in today's world. You don't want to have everybody sitting over each other. You want to make sure everybody's spaced out and, you know, just comfortable to come into work. So that warehouse was just a really big uh, step for us in the beginning. For someone who's just maybe getting started in a sports gear company or kind of looking at that niche, what's the advantage of focusing on a single sport first? I would say the sporting goods like competition, like with different brands, there's there's not much, you know, mo- most people, they try to have like a clothing brand. But as far as like having like sports equipment or sports apparel, I really don't see it that much. So and then if you kind of segment that into like, OK, I only want to do basketball, or only want to do football or only want to do soccer, there's even less competition. So I think that the uh, the advantage is that um, uh, just narrowing down your your niche just allows you to more so hyper focus on your audience and understand like what is the wants and needs from your, you know, the customers that you currently have and like, you know, just the market and the sport overall. And then you can focus on, you know, creating products from there. Are there any disadvantages to doing that? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a disadvantage. Um, obviously, you know, if you do more than one sport or multiple sports at a time, you're going to have a bigger audience to kind of work with. But for us, narrowing it down to just one sport originally helps us as a company just focus on 
you know, exactly what those needs were originally for that sport. And then, you know, which was football for us. And then now we're able, since we kind of have football controlled and kind of have that market already set in stone to, you know, what kind of products we've already provided them. Now we're able to jump to another sport, basketball, because we're starting to get into basketball products as well with our like single leg tights and um, our three quarter tights and everything like that. So now we're able to, you know, focus on a new market and just not spread yourself too thin. Yeah. You don't want to spread yourself too thin and you don't just want to put yourself out there because it will be a lot if you, especially starting a new business, if you're just going to do football, uh, soccer, baseball, basketball, you know, hockey, it's just going to be a lot to deal with all at once unless, which is very rare that there's just one product that fulfills all of those needs for all of those sports. Uh That would be the only thing I you know, will probably help you out as a company if you have one single product that you can sell to every single, you know, one of those sports, which most of the time that's not going to be the case because they all have their different, you know, products and accessories that go with that individual sport. Yeah, and then anybody that plays sports, you you know, sports is like when, you, when you're on a team, it's kind of like a family and you can kind of have that same strategy when building your, you know, your sports apparel or sports gear brand is, you know, create like a family community type atmosphere with your customers to where you're, you know, you're listening to the feedback, you're applying to their DMs, you know, you're applying to the comments and you just, you just keep in mind like what the customer wants and you really can understand your audience rather than if you're focusing on all these different sports, you really don't know who your audience is because, uh, you know, a basketball player has different needs than a football player and a football player has a different needs than a lacrosse player. So we just felt like we were able to, as we focused more so on football when starting our company, we were able to, you know, build a community and build a family that, you know, now they just love our products and they just always support us and, you know, just show us love on Instagram and anything else that we do. What skills or experiences have you relied on the most as you've run and grown the business? I, mean, I think it just goes back to, I mean, this is kind of cliche, but just hard work and determination. I mean, you just, you, you have to always be hungry. You just can't be satisfied. Yeah, we did, you know, 1.5 million, but we're not satisfied, you know, to us. That's not, you know, that's not the top for us. And I think a lot of people, you know, get content with, you know, oh, we, I did seven figures in sales, but we're not satisfied with that. You know, we want to get to the eight figure mark that eventually that nine figure mark. And I mean, just take hard work. I mean, we're constantly coming into the office, uh, coming up with new ideas, trying to figure out how to grow our brand and business to just different markets and things like that. Just how to expand, you know, how to make things better. How can we get people overseas in our products, which, you know, we do get orders here and there from like Canada, sometimes even Japan, which is surprising. You know, we'll get those orders from them. But you know, for us, we need to figure out how can we capture that market? What does their market even look like? And how can we, you know, best like ship and fulfill their order to get it to them in a timely manner? Because, you know, in the U.S., you can't really rely on like United States Postal Service to do an international order. So for us, is finding is DHL going to be better? Is UPS going to be better? Or is FedEx going to be better? That way, you know, we can start getting those international orders because we get a ton of DMs always, especially from Europe. Hey, do you guys do international shipping? And, you know, unfortunately, right now we're missing out on those customers because right now we don't have, we have ideas, but we just don't have any, you know, we haven't executed it quite yet, but like I said, they're in the works to try to get those customers who want our products to get it in their hands. Yeah. And then just to go on top, of, just to piggyback off that, I mean, just like, uh, you know, our samples alone, like we, we spent thousands of dollars just on samples of products that we'd never released just to see and 
experiment and do, you know, more research on how can we make our brand better and how can we develop better products. So you just can't be afraid. Like, I feel like a lot of people, you know, when they start businesses, they get content and then they also, they're just like afraid to take chances and to bet on themselves. So it's just like, that's, that's definitely something that I feel like we both, you know, leaned on as we, um, you know, grew this business. What's your biggest struggle today as, as business owners? Right now, just the biggest struggle would be uh, just like, how can we get more employees to, uh, you know, fulfill different tasks that we have in the business? Because, you know, going back to what Darren said is like a lot of the a lot of the day to day task is all on us. And anybody knows that uh, if you want to expand your business, you kind of have to start delegating different tasks to uh, different members on your team. So, um, yeah, right now, I think like one of the biggest challenges is just trying to just build out a, a solid team that we can delegate different, you know, marketing like this person's in charge of shipping and fulfillment. This person's in charge of doing photo shoots. So just building out that infrastructure. Do you have any tips for how an aspiring business owner can look and determine if a market is currently oversaturated or if it is offering an opportunity? I don't necessarily think like, I mean, there are saturated markets, but to be honest, that has nothing to do with you. I mean, if you have a better product that's out there, that's in that same market, I mean, you can take over that market. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily think any market is going to be oversaturated where you're going to be scared to, you know, just take that leap of faith. I mean, look at the food industry. That's the most probably oversaturated market there is out there. But you see people every day starting a, a food business and it's very and it's very successful. Beverage company. Beverage company. Chips, yeah, yeah, chips and things like that. And they're very successful. It's just how innovation. Can, innovation. How can you make that bag of chips better than, you know, the original bag of chips? And, you know, how can you market it better? What can you do? What what can you do differently in your marketing strategy and things like that. So I wouldn't necessarily say that there's an oversaturated market or you shouldn't do something because it's oversaturated. As long as you have a good idea and a good plan and how to make yourself different, then, you know, you can do anything just about, you know, don't get me wrong. If you go into that same market and and do the exact same thing as everybody else, then yeah, you're not going to be able to stand out, unfortunately, because there's going to be a thousand other people doing the exact same thing you're doing. And ultimately, you know, your business is probably not going to be successful if you do it that way. What's your top source of business knowledge? Any books, podcasts, blogs you'd like to recommend? I like the podcast, My First Million. I, I don't know who the uh, the two gentlemen who are that, uh, you know, uh, host a podcast, but they give like a lot of insight on like different ways on like how you can build and scale your business. And then they also like do a lot of interviews with business owners about, you know, just business owners that you would never even think would make a lot of money, like just different software companies and uh, Google extension apps and things. Like one time they did an interview with somebody who had a Google extension that was making like 40 million a year. And it just kind of blew my mind because it's like everybody uses Google extensions, but I never thought someone could make 40 million a year off of a Google extension. So that's, you know, a, a good podcast that I, I like listening to. And then also uh, Earn Your Leisure. Um, they give a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, financial tips and, um, you know, they give a lot of insight on, um, you know, just a stock market and just like, st- you know, starting a business and cryptocurrency and things of that sort. And I think for me, it's going to be um, Ben Francis, which he's the CEO and founder of Gymshark. 
um, you know, they're a billion dollar brand now and he's uh, around our, me and Nehemiah's age right now. And, you know, I watch all of his YouTube videos. You know, he gives a lot of free game and how he grew his company and just he kind of goes over the day to day operations, what they did good, what they did bad. He's 100 percent transparent with you on there. And, you know, I kind of look at him because we're growing a similar brand than his. Obviously, his is a workout brand, but it's also, you know, working out is like within the sports uh, realm of things. So, you know, I kind of look at the things that he's doing and kind of see how we can implement that into our company as well. Because, I mean, he's he's our age right now. And, you know, his his business is value over a billion dollars at this point. And he grew that within, you know, four to five years. So that's somebody, you know, really big. I look up to on YouTube and, you know, always try to watch his videos, you know, as much as possible every time he um, drops it. To close this out, we're going to go into what we call our blitz questions. Uh, we pull some of these questions from from both our staff and from from our YouTube community as well. So if you're on YouTube, go check out Upflip on YouTube. So these questions, quick two three word answer. I'll I'll let you go to ten words if you need to on some of them. But real real quick, question one: What kind of car do you drive? I drive a Jeep Grand Cherokee. I'm Jeep sorry. Grand Cherokee was my dream car as a child for <laughs> for a long time. So you're living my dream. I drive my girlfriend's Mazda 3. I love it. What do you do with your profits? Invest it back into the company. Put it back in the business. If you could win the lottery today and earn a fortune that will last a lifetime, would you give this business up? No. No. We'll take some of that money, put it back into the company. (laughs) And then finally, what's one fact that changed your perspective on life forever? We're all going to die. Live your life. Elon Musk is the richest person ever to live. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's crazy how much money he has. It, it uh, really boggles the mind. But that's that's it for the Blitz questions. Thank you for enduring those for us. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Upflip podcast. Again, I'm Alex Freeman. We were joined by Nehemiah Mitchell and Darian Herring of, of Weeball Sports. Gentlemen, thank you both for joining us. Thank you for having us. We appreciate you. Thank you as well. And everyone out there, make sure you tune in to Upflip on YouTube. Check out the podcast every week. Recommend us to a friend. And also check out upflip.com slash blog. And we've got tips in all of those places for you to live your entrepreneurial dreams. We'll see you next week. Upflip.